And I want to start by reading a passage I'm going to read every week, and it's this, Proverbs 13, 12. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Have you ever had hope deferred? Have you ever had those moments where you felt hopeless? When I was 17 years old, I was playing soccer on a traveling team. We eked into this tournament barely, and because we were the bottom seed, we had to play the top seed eight to nothing. I was the goalie. Eight to nothing at halftime. 16 nothing, they turned the scoreboard off. And there was still time to go. Their goalie was shooting on me. It was a bad, I mean, I felt like I couldn't do anything. Hopeless, absolutely hopeless. On a more serious side, sitting at my mom's bedside, watching her die of cancer. And knowing there's not a thing in the world you can do about it feeling absolutely hopeless. When she got to the point where she didn't even have the strength to talk anymore and you could do nothing but look in her eyes. Hopeless. There may be some in a family situation and we have a family situation going on where you look at it and you're like, God, unless you intervene, unless you do something, this thing looks hopeless. Have you ever done your bills and you're looking at the bills and you're looking at the money And you got a lot more month left than you do money. And you're like, God, unless you do something, this completely feels hopeless. Maybe you're studying for an exam. That time of the year is coming. And you close the book or you turn off the screen and say, it's not sinking in. And God, unless you help me with this, it all feels hopeless. Have you ever ended an argument with your spouse? And maybe it's the 12th, 14th, 16th argument of the day. And you're like, God, if you don't do something, this just feels hopeless. Have you ever tried to figure out what God wanted you to do with life? And you felt like maybe you knew, but you didn't feel equipped for it. Or maybe you're thinking, this is what I really want to do, but none of the doors are opening. And you think, if I go to church and you're listening to the preacher, and you're going, what in the world is he saying? And you're thinking to yourself, God, unless you do something with this, it just feels hopeless. It feels pointless. Pretty soon, you find yourself feeling like you're locked in a cell, and there's no need to even try and get out. It's easier to just settle. Our account today that we're going to be seeing is actually found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mark and Luke tell us that before the lady we're going to talk about at the moment, before it gets to her story, this guy named Jairus comes to Jesus. And and Jairus comes to Jesus, and he's a high-ranking official, and he's well-known, and he's a good guy. And he comes to Jesus, and he says, listen, man, my daughter is dying, and you've got to do something about this. And everyone around is like, this is Jairus, you know? This is a man. Jesus, you've got to help him. So Jesus is on his way to help the daughter And Jesus, this is important and it needs to happen now. And along the way, to deal with his daughter, they get interrupted. In Mark and Luke's gospel, the lady of our account today is honestly just mentioned almost as an afterthought. It's like, oh yeah, and on the way to Jairus' daughter, this happened. But now let's get back to Jairus' daughter. But this woman we're going to talk about today, she was desperate. She was in a place in life where she had nowhere left to go. When you hear her story in comparison to everything going on around her, 
everything going around, on around Jairus, everybody pressing into Jesus, you're going to see why she could feel hopeless. She could feel lost in the crowd. Would you turn with me to Luke chapter 8? We're going to begin at verse 43. And if you don't have a Bible, maybe you have a, a smartphone or a device with you today, you can Google Luke chapter 8. It'll bring you right to where we're going to read. Luke chapter 8, we're going to start reading at verse 43. It says, And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him, referring to Jesus, she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus said. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Now, I don't know how, but as a woman, I don't know that you could find yourself in a more desperate spot. First of all, this woman would have been considered too dirty to touch. It's tough enough when you feel like life won't give you a break, but what about when God won't give you a break? When things just seem to be happening that, that you're like, this makes no sense. And the way life and dominoes should fall, I'm a good person, I haven't done anything wrong. Why me? Anybody ever said, why me? Why me? Can you say it with me on three? One, two, three. Why me? We've all been there. We've all asked that question. And now here's this woman, 12 years of bleeding. By ceremonial law, there were rules that would keep someone out of the temple and therefore out of the presence of God. So now, no longer is she a social outcast, but she's a spiritual outcast not even allowed into the temple. She would have been considered, this is the first blank, she would have been considered unclean. In scholarly language, she was often referred to in the original New Testament Greek, which the Bible, the New Testament was written in Greek. She would have been referred to as, in the Greek word, it's the bleeding woman. Because of her continual bleeding, the woman would have been regarded in Jewish law as perpetually menstruating and ceremonially unclean. In order to be regarded as clean, the flow of blood would have had to have stopped for at least seven days. Because it was constant, the woman lived in a state of uncleanness for 12 years. Guys, we may not have got that. Ladies, think about that. She would have been considered unclean. She would have been considered unwanted. It would have been extremely difficult and against their laws to share any kind of intimacy with a husband. She would have had to have been in isolation. On top of that, now she's broke. No doctor wants to see her. Nobody's going to put time into her. She would have been unnoticed. Her bleeding had cut her off of life. This is why she couldn't come out in the open. She couldn't just walk up to Jesus. She's pressing in, just barely trying to touch the edge of his robe. And it's also why when Jesus first calls her out, she's so embarrassed by who touched me. Because with everything she had been involved in and with the culture of that day, she shouldn't have been touching anybody, much less the Christ. She's hopeless. 
12 years of futility. 12 years of no answers. There's nowhere else to turn. Verse, verse 43, it says, and, the, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Look at this next part. But no one could heal her. Mark 5, 26, telling the same account. Mark says, no one could heal her. The woman had spent all of her money on doctors. Not only did she not get better, she got worse. Nobody could help her, much less heal her. There's no answers in sight. All the money is gone. All the wisest doctors and experts can't do a thing for her. She feels like an outcast. Talk about a perfect opportunity to lose hope 12 years later. This woman could have easily been lost in the crowd. That's the next blank. She could have been lost in the crowd. There's nothing special or significant about her. Think about this. There are not a lot of accounts in Scripture where Matthew, Mark, and Luke all pull the, pull the account into their account of Jesus. And here's one that everyone says, wow, this is amazing. And not one of them capture her name. Here's a woman who just slides out of the background and then is quickly forgotten about. The only way, you got ready? The only way she's known is by her problem by the issue she has. How many of you have been ever been labeled by your problem, by your issue, by your challenge? Have you ever had a label slapped on you by what you can't do, by your limitations? That's a message for another day. But this woman could easily slide into the background. On top of this, Jesus, remember, was already headed somewhere. Not only is he headed somewhere, he's headed somewhere with someone important who's in desperate need for a child. I don't know about you, but there's something selfish in me if I'm pushing a kid out of the way so I can get in front of him. Think about it. If you're at a carnival and you're like, the Ferris wheel, and you start shoving kids out of the way so you can get in the Ferris wheel line quicker, is that a bad thing? Now we've got a little girl who's dying. Jesus needs to get there to save a little girl's life. I'm not going to cut in that line. Jesus, go take care of the kid. The child needs care before I do. So this woman is sliding in and there's all these other people pressing in with all of these problems, all of these challenges. And here's this woman. Who am I? Jairus makes sense. He's a good guy. He does a lot of good stuff. And it's a child who needs a miracle. Who am I? Maybe it's just better if I stay in that prison cell. If I pull the door closed and live with my problems. But this woman kept pressing in. This woman didn't give up. Now, all devout Jews at that time, and the culture, everybody wore robes. All right? Think of your Wisconsin winter jacket, the long one. So everyone would have been wearing the robe, and on that robe, on the fringes of it, there were four tassels. They were white and blue thread woven together, and those tassels, about yay long, would have hung off the bottom of the robe. Every Jew, uh, d- devout Jew, wore them. And it showed that they were committed to God's laws. Those tassels were a reminder of that. Jesus would have worn this. These tassels were the very things 
that were considered the hem of the garment. When this lady goes to meet with Jesus, she's not asking for FaceTime. She's not saying, can I have 20 minutes? She's not even looking, looking to slow him down. She wants to touch the tassel. If I can just touch the tassel, the bottom little part of his winter coat, maybe God could do something. Her hope was in just, just a touch. She had probably heard stories by this point. She had probably heard about the miracles. He did this for others. What about me? I had hope in doctors. Nothing came out of that. I'm broken. I'm still a mess. I had hope in religion. Went to all the services, checked all the boxes. Now they don't even want me in the building. What about Jesus? What about a miracle worker 12 years later? And it might even be scary to have hope again. Have you ever tried something in life that you just failed so many times? You say, I give up. I'm done trying. I'm done trying to advance this. I'm done trying to move this forward. I'm done trying to take this class. I'm done trying to get this promotion. It's just easier to give up hope. Sometimes when I give up hope, I feel a lot better. What about Jesus? What's the challenge in your life right now that maybe it's been 12 years of struggle and you're to the point of saying, I feel better if I just give up hope. I feel better if I close the prison door and just stay where I am. This lady amazes me because she never quits. She won't quit. And that's, if I could give you something today, don't quit. Don't quit. As we're going to talk about next week and the week after, you may press in and God may have something that, that he's holding out. We're going to see in a moment with this lady where he, he's challenging you to go deeper in your faith. There may be another place where God says, I'm not going to answer it the way you're asking. But don't give up hope that I'm not going to answer. Amen. He's going to answer. She came up behind him, verse 44 says, she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Adam Clark, he was a uh, church historian, commentator in the 1800s, he said of, of the many that touched him that day, this woman and none else received this divine virtue. Why? Because she came in faith. Faith alone attracts and receives the energetic influence of God at all times. There's something about trusting God, and there's something about being in a situation in life where God's all you've got. Where God is the only place you're going to find your answer. There's some things where there are practical answers. It's easy to look up. I'll Google how to take care of that. And then there are some things where the only answer left is, Jesus, what are you going to do about this? And that's where we find ourselves needing hope. Jesus knew something had happened for this woman, and it was more than just a physical healing. It was more than just social healing where she could go out in public now. She didn't need to hide in the shadows from the embarrassment. She didn't need to keep pouring money into doctors, but Jesus also restored her hope in God as her loving Father. Not just God of a religion, not just God to go through a routine or a practice, but God, who's a father. And father is a very personal thing to have. Jesus affirms this woman 
as a child of God. The passage tells us this. Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. He could have just left it as a physical miracle. Do you think she would appreciate no more bleeding after 12 years? Do you think she'd have been grateful for that? I went, I touched Jesus' robe, 12 years of bleeding, stopped. I think she'd have been celebrating (laughs) for a long time just off of that. Jesus could have just turned and given her a glance. I got a place to go. I got people all around me. She touches the robe. He turns. Maybe he gives her the double point, you know, to let her know that he recognized her. And a wink. You got to do the wink in there too. Just that. Just that. So not only did Jesus heal me, but he saw me. I mean, we have someone famous look at us or wave, and we freak out and faint. People are like, ah, but, but Jesus not only heals her, not only acknowledges her, Jesus could have even said something quick and moved on. God bless you, hashtag prayers, glad you're feeling better. But he goes deeper than that. Instead, listen, to, look at this. He shrinks an entire crowd. He shrinks a frantic scene down to two people. It's just him and this lady in front of us. We're never even told her name. We have no idea about her past. Church history tells us a little about her future. But for Jesus, she's the only one at the planet at this moment. The emergency of Jairus' child We'll put that on hold. The noise of the crowd is all of a sudden nothing but dulled in the background. Jesus doesn't just talk to this woman who probably doesn't feel important or valuable anyway. He actually addresses her as a relative, as a daughter. Jesus spoke to that woman as if she were the only person in the world. Here she is poor, an unimportant sufferer with a trouble that made her unclean and yet was her identity And yet to that one unimportant person, Jesus gave all of himself. Tim Keller put out, tweeted this week, he said, it's impossible to meet the real Jesus and leave indifferent. It's impossible to embrace the real Jesus. And if we'll open our lives to him and let him into every area, we can't remain the same. St. Augustine said, God loves each one of us as if there was only one of us to love. You may feel lost in everything else going on in the world. You may feel unimportant or God has other things to do or bigger problems to take care of. There's the Middle East. There's third world countries. There's things going on in our own community. But God knows where you are. God knows where you are. We are very apt to attach labels to people and to treat them according to their relative importance. But net love is never to think in those terms. To Jesus, a person has none of these labels. He or she is simply a human soul in need. And that's our fourth point, the last point. God always knows when someone is in need. God always knows when someone is in need. If you feel hopeless because of the challenge or the need you're facing right now, no matter what realm or area of life it's in, God always knows 
when someone is in need. You can see it in the Old Testament, the time before Jesus. You can see it right here in things like like this situation. And Bartimaeus, who's a blind man sitting at a gate, broke as could be, and Jesus stops everything to deal with Bartimaeus. Jesus always knows when someone's in need. You can see it in the way of the first century church when they took care of people's needs. Jesus always knows when someone is in need. How tight can this life be without the space of hope? How closed in can life feel without hope? Whether he answers the way we want him to, or we'll see in a few weeks, if he has a different game plan, he knows when you're in need and he isn't numb to it. God always knows when someone's in need. Can you repeat that with me? God always knows when someone is in need. Tell the person beside you, God always knows when someone is in need. They may need to hear that from someone beside themselves today. God always knows when someone is in need. So don't give up hope. Don't quit. God always knows when someone is in need. Physical, financial, emotional, relational, spiritual. God always knows when someone is in need. And he's not numb to it. Some of you are are thinking this morning, well, if I had a chance to walk up to Jesus and grab his robe, then I'd have hope too. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 tells us don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God always knows when someone's in need, and we can bring it to him. Let's listen to his response. Bring it to him. Not social media, not a gripe session, but bring it in prayer. Talk to God about it. God always knows when someone is in need. You may feel overwhelmed. Psalm 3, verses 2 through 6. It says, many are saying of me, God will not deliver them. God's not going to help them. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake up again because the Lord sustains me. When you go to bed and it's pitch black at night, guess what? The sun's coming up tomorrow. God always knows when someone is in need. Verse 6, I will not fear then even if 10,000 people come against me on every side. Because you've got a God who's with you and he won't leave you. You've got hope. Some of you may be thinking, of, if I could face Jesus, if I, if I could have that time with him. Jesus said he's with you and he's not going to leave you or forsake you. John 14, verse 27. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Whatever problem, whatever challenge you may be facing right now, hold on to the hope that he's given you peace for it. I do not give peace as the world gives, he says. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. John 16, verse 33. In this world you will have trouble. Can anyone say amen to that one? In this world you will have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. In this world you will have heartbreak, but take heart because God's overcome heartbreak. In this world you will have physical challenges. 
And everyone over 40 years old saying, amen to that one. Feel it more and more with these wonderful weather changes that Wisconsin has. But take heart, because I've overcome those. You have hope. You have hope now, and you have hope in eternity. Now, this woman we've just read about, like I said, scripturally, we don't know much. Church history tells us that they actually built a statue in remembrance of what Jesus did for her. When you go through the, Ro- uh, the Roman catacombs where the Christians hid during the persecution of, of, the, of the Roman Empire, there's actually drawings in the catacombs of this event. Hadrian, who became a, a king, a religious, uh, not a religious ruler, but a, a ruler, actually had a coin made and this implanted on the backside of the coin. It's a picture of her kneeling with Jesus reaching out. It was the known symbol of exactly what happened here. This woman's faith, while she may disappear in the background and may no one may be able to attach a name to it or a face or a person, it impacted lives to come. Here's my challenge to you, please. Hold out hope. Hold on to hope because you don't know what God is up to. You don't know the whole big picture of the story and you don't know who else is gonna be impacted by it. Hold out hope. It was a step of faith in a valley. Hold out hope when it seems like all other options are gone. And remember this, remember in whom your hope lies. We got Jesus. Hold out hope. Isaiah 26 and verse 3. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast on you because we can trust in you. Would you bow your heads with me, please? We open with Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Maybe you're here this morning and you just feel a lot better if you give up hope. But we have to find our hope in Christ. And maybe you're facing a struggle right now where you're in that place of, of feeling sick just because you've got nothing else to lean on. You feel like it's, it's over. The marriage is over. The kids are gone. The finances, there's no hope. The health seems like it's hopeless. That's where you are this morning. I just want to pray for you for strength and grace. And whatever path God takes you down with this, that you know that you can always have hope because you have a loving, just like this lady did, you have a loving father not just a God out there somewhere. You have a loving Father who is there for you, working on your behalf. And before we pray, maybe you're here today and you haven't taken that step of saying, Jesus, my life is yours. I turn it over to you. I've done it my way. I've tried doing it to please myself. But you want to take the step of recognizing what Christ did for us on the cross. Because without Jesus, our lives are still wrapped up in our own mess, our own rebellion, our own eternal hopelessness, much less hopelessness now. But as John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, won't die, won't have eternal separation from God, but will have eternal life.